Hello and welcome to Verge ESP, a podcast about art and science on The Verge. My name is Emily Yoshida. I am the entertainment editor at The Verge. Hi, I'm Liz Lopato. I'm the science editor at The Verge. And uh, we're going to start off with a little bit of silly, I guess it's not really news because it just happened and, and I guess this tour is over, but um, we had a fun little interview up with uh, one of the guys from the band, the chiptune band, Anamanaguchi, who opened for Hatsune Miku, who is a pop star who does not exist, who just completed her first North American tour. Do you know about Hatsune Miku? No, but I love this. She's a pop star who doesn't exist. Yeah, it's um so it's a it's called it's a, called Vocaloid, which is just these different programs to write pop songs with. It's basically like a, a vocal generator, and you can write music and pitch bend it and stuff like that. But Hatsune Miku is a specific Vocaloid who has a physical embodiment that when she does shows she appears as a hologram but she's an open source thing so people can write music for her and make choreography for her and stuff it's um it's obviously japanese right but uh, there there are other ones that are are american there's one called cyber diva that uh is, is sings better in english the thing about hatsune make it's hard for her to write it's hard for her to sing in english hmm. so it's been a thing in Japan since I think like the since 2011, and uh, she made her debut on um, Letterman I think in 2014 I want to say, because I, I remember writing about it at Grantland, which <laughs> um, was just supremely weird to have David Letterman introducing this like uh, like hologram anime pop star on the late show uh but anyway she just did a big tour of the u.s and she had an actual band of humans opening for her so we have a little interview about that on on um in the entertainment section if people want to check it out that's cool well also in in human related projects i want to talk about domesticating dogs just because (laughs) uh it looks like we've done it a couple of times i mean they're they're probably the animal with whom I would say we have the the closest bond, you know. Sure. And it, it seems that there's like there's a study that was published today is Thursday it was published today in Science uh, that shows that there were at least two origins of the dog. So we domesticated them at least twice. And so there are genetic differences between dogs that are from East Asia and Western Eurasia, which is like sort of Europe plus the Middle East plus like. You know. Uh-huh. But it it looks like it looks like they were just domesticated separately and then they they sort of bred together over time. So that's pretty cool. Um You mean I, you mean they so they they were split up like long 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 ago and then they started bringing together again. I I'm guessing in a modern era where like dogs could be brought to different parts well, of the world. So they were they were domesticated from being different populations of wolves, right? Right. Um, and then, yeah, as, as people started to travel, they they then started to interbreed. But I think that's pretty neat that 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 we did that a couple of different times in different places. And so, you know, it, doesn't it make you feel a little weird though? Like, do- like the existence of dogs. Like, dogs are just like weird genetic freaks, really, that we hang out with and cuddle with. Yeah, we we basically <laughs> we we bred them to be our friends. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, if only if only real friendship was that easy. 
Um, <laughs> I mean, like the oldest identifiable dog is like 15,000 years old. So they've been our friends for a while. Wow. You know, and there are some scientists that will argue that they go back 30,000 years. And like the idea is basically that these wolves started hanging around human camps because we had garbage. Mm-hmm. Garbage. You know how dogs feel about garbage. They still get into it. Oh, they love it. Yeah, they love it. And they got less dangerous over time. And uh, sort of like there was like a combination effort of us domesticating them and them domesticating themselves in order to have a constant supply of food. Of garbage. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh, man. But dogs are wonderful. Yeah. You know, dog research is actually one of my favorite things to to read about and to write about, um, as is cat domestication research, obviously, because I am a huge cat lady. But... Uh, these are, you know, these things that we sort of take for granted in our day-to-day lives that, like, are, oh, gosh, I'm I'm, I'm going to get myself in hot water with Vlad if he's listening. But they're technology. Dogs are technology. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a we created them. A dog is an app. That's my favorite one. <laughs> a dog is an app. Yeah. And... I mean, like, it's old technology, but it's technology. Yeah. That's a GMO right there. Like, woof, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> literal wolf <laughs> uh i mean yeah hor- horses and uh, horses and dogs are total total uh there are different versions of them uh different models well and one of the things that's cool about being that tight with another species is that you can begin to you know as you discover things about them discover things about your own species and fill in details of, uh, of how humans might have lived in these periods for which we don't have good records We we have a rare case of late breaking news on Verge ESP, but this happened, you know, right before we kind of got into the booth, so we wanted to acknowledge it. It's being reported that uh, Prince's death, who, Prince died, uh, just about just over a month ago now, April twenty first. April twenty first. Yeah, they're saying that the autopsy is revealing that it was from an opioid overdose, specifically of Percocet. Yeah, um, um, both AP and the Minneapolis Star Tribune are reporting it apparently from different sources. So there's and that. This was sort of there was evidence to point to this earlier. They had found some some painkillers, I guess, among his belongings, or and he had it was it was reported, but not I don't think officially reported that that's what why they had to land the plane. They had said it was the flu, but there was very much the subtext that it was something else. Yeah, it was a TMZ report, I think, that said that that was an overdose. And then uh, the Star Tribune also says that the week after he died, he had been scheduled to meet with a California doctor in an attempt to kick an opioid addiction. Wow. So that's sad. Um, Yeah. And, you know, it's just it's a it's been something that I guess has been more people have been paying attention to recently, I guess, is, is the the how much people are have been addicted to, to opioids recently yeah. or how much that's been like a kind of hidden phenomenon. Um, and but it's really unfortunate. Yeah. And because this is late breaking, I don't necessarily have my thoughts together um, to give to, to, to give any kind of in, in informed perspective on it, um, except to say that this is, of course, tremendously sad. And I'm going to miss Prince. Yeah. I mean, it's just sad that that it's something, you know, I mean, it was it was sad already, you know, when he died and at such a young age and then 
to learn that it was possibly this this thing that is has claimed a lot of other lives. You know, if that in, it if that gets confirmed, then it'll be extra unfortunate. Last week we talked about Peter Thiel, and uh, this week we're going to be talking about Elon Musk, who is a different Silicon Valley billionaire. Another one. Well, they're both from PayPal is the reason why I have linked them. Uh, <laughs> right. There's some backstory there. Uh, how is PayPal? How is PayPal like the the one? Like how is PayPal the one that generated these two guys? Like I I just don't even think about PayPal anymore. It. But I guess it's everywhere. I guess it just successfully wove itself into the way that we do life now. So I guess it's like oxygen. Well, it's one of those things where it's like a unsexy banking thing that people don't think about. But I think a lot of small online retailers use. And right, so it yeah. went from being sort of like a customer based business to being a business based business in a way. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there are still opportunities like if you go to buy Levi's jeans or whatever, you can pay with PayPal or you can store your credit information with Levi's, whatever you feel is more comfortable. But yeah, so Elon Musk is using that fortune uh, in a variety of different ways. Of course, there's Tesla, but we're here today to talk about SpaceX. So there was this conference, the Recode Conference, and Elon started talking which, about... Which we should say is uh, we are is put on by Recode, with which is which is our sister our site. sister site, right? Yes. And uh, he says he he's envisioning sending people to Mars as early as 2024 with arrival and landing in 2025, and has has suggested that he might want to live out his days uh, on Mars himself. And here is a direct quote: "I think if you're going to choose a place to die, then Mars is probably not a bad choice." It's a bad choice. Can I just put that out there? I think it would suck. I think I think it would really, really suck. I, I would like to be comforted by people who care for me when I die, and I just don't think a lot of them are on Mars. Now, this is a thing. <laughs> my boyfriend has, has gotten a lot, of, a lot of traction out of asking this question to strangers, friends, everybody. Would you do a one-way mission to Mars? That's like his go-to party question. And most people say no. Um, we happened to be one time at an event with um, some people who were part of the um, the Mars One. Was that what it was called? Mars One. Mars One. Mission? Yep, that's yeah. right. So um, that guy obviously said yes. But it's something. I, here's the thing: is I would totally go on a one-way mission to just space. Like just go, like do like the like the a Voyager mission. Just be like, I'm just gonna keep going and keep going and keep going, and You're, eventually the I'll prince, die. the Prince Caspian model of space exploration. Yes, yeah, and it'll be it'll be fine. It'll be uh, it, there will be no final destination. I'll just keep going. Uh, but you know, being stuck on Mars and being alive and and trying to deal with just like an environment that really, really does not want you there. I mean, you want to talk about New York City in the summer. I'm not even going to go there. But, yeah, I, I... Anyway. Well, so it wasn't like... He didn't give a lot of concrete details about the colonization plans. But the thing that I do want to note is that NASA's schedule for sending people to Mars is the 2030s. And so he's he's proposing to do it a full decade earlier. Um, and he also... I mean, he got... I think a little bit of pushback on that very ambitious schedule and some he he said essentially when I cite a, set, a schedule it's a schedule that I think will be true it's not some fake schedule I don't think it's true it may be delusional uh, it, this is entirely possible from time to time but I never knowingly fake deadline ever 
Um, Elon Musk is like the Kanye of tech, right? Like, is that a f- fair comparison to make? I, you know, kind of. I think I, I think that's actually pretty astute. Um, the only problem is that he's way richer than Kanye, as we now know, knowing what we do about Kanye's financials. What he chooses to do with his his time, his money, the way that he monopolizes people's attention has a much bigger impact than Kanye's does. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's got people talking about what kind of government we should have on Mars, because that was another right. thing he chose to address during this, like these remarks. You know, he... Uh, he, he thinks that it should be a democracy, a direct democracy. Right. Well, that'll be easy since there won't be that many people there, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, right. You don't need representation. You can just have people. I don't think you don't have enough people to have a representational democracy. Um, and yeah, I mean, that whole thing, that whole... There's a post about just about his comments about democracy on Mars that's up on the verge. It's just like... It's one of those things where I guess I understand how people feel when the reason I made the Kanye comparison is just like when reading that I feel like I understand how people feel when people will just post like Kanye tweets as an article, which we try not to do too much of on The Verge when it happens. Like Kanye goes on another tweet storm. Like it's not, you know, he has a Twitter account and he used it. That's not news, you know. But the the fact that other some people feel like that is like stop the press's news, like this man spoke about something. Like like I feel like the headline for the the, the Elon Musk talks about democracy on mars piece should have been like man speaks like that <laughs> well <laughs> he just said some words like i just don't feel like there's any bearing in reality except he's elon musk so it's like okay we we totally care well the the thing that i think is interesting about it and the reason why i think it's worth writing about is because it, it tells you something about what he thinks uh democracy should be like on earth a little bit by proxy like he's saying stuff about sure. like making it easier to remove bad laws gee i wonder why the silicon ba- valley billionaire with like investments in aerospace and transportation two heavily regulated industries would like to easily remove laws you know what i mean yeah like there's there is there is a way that you can read that and infer certain political views of his that yeah. matter because he has the money to spend on them yeah so you know to me that's that seems like it is actually news right like it's it's a little goofy and the angle on it, you know, especially the angle in our headline is ha ha, you know, democracy on Mars. But like if that's what he thinks should be the ideal governing system, how does that impact the way that he is going to be involved in politics? I mean, Peter Thiel, for instance, you know, right. who is um, doing the revenge lawsuit on Gawker, thinks that it should be easier to sue websites and, and other publications for libel and is backing Donald Trump, who also thinks that it should be easier to sue for libel. So, you know, there are there are consequences to these beliefs because there is so much money behind them. Yeah. I mean, I guess I guess the fact that it's being like that Mars is being used as the sort of not quite hypothetical that is the sounding board for all of these ideas is just also like extra infuriating like <laughs> because it's just like if you if that's how you think the government should be just like out and say it like you're a very rich powerful man and if you like express that view you know people will hear you but to like to one to filter it through the mars thing and then it's just like the whole idea of him saying like what is the thing he says about why we need to go to mars like just like it's something very very doomy about like what what's going to happen to earth right. it's just like like you have it better than ninety nine point nine 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 percent of Earthlings, 
Like you're good, Elon Musk. You have a you have all that you need and more. Why are you the one person who's like, ah, Earth sucks. Let's get out of here. Like there are so many people who have much more of a right to say Earth fucking sucks. Like the the way that we have our, our power cons- constructs suck. The people we put in charge suck. Uh, and uh, you know my hometown is being polluted. I can't drink the water in my town. Like, those people have a right to be like, yeah, fuck Earth. <laughs> I don't know. I just seem so, it's so, I it's so completely out of touch. And I guess you can only get there when you're a multi-billionaire. But. Well, because you have to be out of touch to live in that world. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you don't It's know. like a chicken egg thing. Like, are you out of touch first or are you a billionaire first? Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> and like, uh, probably a little bit of both, I would imagine, yeah. um, in order to prioritize making money like that in your life. Yeah. But, you know, he has a history of saying weird things. And he did say another weird thing that I am going to feel compelled to discuss in length at some point on on the site, because it seems to be uh, something that's not just a weird thing that he believes, but that a lot of people in Silicon Valley believe, which is that we're living inside a computer simulation. (laughs) And I can see how this is is really appealing if you are a person who works with computers, because because you love computers, so you wish you were inside one. Right. Well, partly, but also that makes you like essentially a high priest, right? Like you're working with the holy thing if like everything is a simulation and you're 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 close to the machine. You know what I mean? Yeah, but your computers aren't aren't part of like your computers don't control the simulation. Right. Your, your computers are like jello inside of an actual computer in that case. Like But here's here's <laughs> I mean, like I have a lot of thoughts about this, but the the two big ones that I want to point out is that this is not actually different from what Descartes proposed when he suggested that like we might all be living in a hallucination created by a demon and then decided like no it's definitely like we're living at God's behest like it's not that different um, right. In terms of like the the lineage of it, and there is like there are some theoretical physics results that could be interpreted to make people believe that we're in a simulation. But honestly, those interpretations are really controversial. Given the current state of physics, it, it is helpful to take them with sort of a grain of salt. Uh, yeah. Because we're working with a lot of things that we really don't understand. And it may turn out that we get a new model in physics tomorrow that adequately explains those results without us resorting to computer simulation. So if you, yeah. you know, if you are a little bit in touch with these things, you understand like why this is maybe a little ridiculous. <laughs> but, you know, it's it's a cool freshman philosophy 101 type thing to think about. And it's like a cool thing to think about after you saw The Matrix for the first time. You're or, like, oh, yeah, shit. like, I just... Oh, my God, I, guys. There's like a computer? <laughs> there's, like, a part of me that's just, like, does he, like, sit around taking bong rips and, like, <laughs> talking with freshman philosophy majors? If only he did. Um, but, yeah, so... The other thing about that whole... The whole Descartes thing and, and any notion like that, that, like, what we're experiencing is a part of, like, exists inside of something else. I mean, if you really... Like, if that is if that is the case, like, and we can't tell, like, we don't know for sure right now, then it doesn't matter. Right. A like, distinction to, without a difference is no distinction. Right. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't... It shouldn't affect how you approach life like the way that your actions affect the world 
obviously, you know, that happens in the same way, regardless of it, whether or not we're in a computer. You know, we don't, there's no evidence that if you do something to piss off the computer god, that something bad will happen to you. And also, I mean, like, our model for the universe has always, just like our models for the brain, have always been the most sophisticated technology we've had available. So for a long time, we thought the universe ran on clockwork, you know? Uh-huh. Like, that was the yeah. most sophisticated technology. And now that the most sophisticated sophisticated technology is computers that's what we think the world runs on like these are metaphors that have been in use for a very long time that we have simply updated yeah no i mean it's it's very very charming that they use the word computer like i do they say computer simulation uh i think he just said simulation although he might have said computer simulation i don't know i yeah yeah that is it's like in a thousand years People are going to look back on that and think that it's like the most ridiculous, quaint thing they ever heard. You know? Yeah, it's going to be as silly as clockwork, you know. Yeah. But yeah, I, again, like I think it's one of those things that holds a great deal of emotional appeal to people who care about computers a lot to be like, whoa, actually, I I am I am the figment of a computer, you know, I computers like how 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 cool are computers? No, you know, like I feel like we've gotten like it actually feels weird for me to say the word computer so much. Like I say the word laptop, and I I I talk about my phone. I talk about mobile and social media. Like those are the really like the things that really permeate just like media in general. Uh, When I think about my computer and like computers, it just I don't know if i feel like the device like being reliant on the device feels like the less interesting setting for whatever like weird action or change is happening in our society i feel like a lot of that is like whatever roll your eyes but like in the cloud like it's not in the hardware it's in the like the connections that have been created via the hardware i don't know i'm getting super super like like metaphysical right now well in fairness elon led you down a metaphysical path and that's now where we are in fairness we are having a conversation about (laughs) elon musk uh Um, yeah, I mean, that, that's one thing. I, like, they're, uh, the really powerful computers, I think, are still pretty neat. And they are not mostly in use by consumers. Like, I, this is one of the things where it's like, it's one of the reasons I have a hard time getting excited about consumer tech is that right. I know the really cool stuff is still in a lab somewhere and I'm not allowed to see it. Like, this is yeah. just what I've been allowed to buy, okay? Right. Um, and the cool stuff is so expensive that, like, I don't, like, anybody who's not basically some sort of very large institution or a billionaire themselves, like, is not going to be able to get, get a handle on it. And Right. So and it's, it's not for having anyway. It's, like, for, you know, its use, its greater application. Like, it's not a thing. It's not, you can't even think about it in the same way. It's like, oh, yeah, I'd love to have one of those. Right, like, exactly. But, yeah, I, I don't know. It's... It's interesting to see these ideas because I was a philosophy major and I like to joke about how Elon is 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 making use of my degree here. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> if if He's... anybody ever gave you shit about taking a philosophy class, oh, it's useless. It's actually not useless all the time, it turns out. But yeah, it's it's peculiar. I mean, I feel like the more that we see of these guys, the more we discover exactly how weird they are right how weird the people who've been like shaping the entire way our lives work yeah 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 i mean i mean it's 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 a cool thing to have big public figures to bounce really abstract ideas off of like this and like god bless elon musk for just even talking about like what kind of government we're gonna have on mars like 
cool. We can all chat about it and think about it. That's fun. Yeah, there's a cool Ken Stanley Robinson book that's about like communism on Mars, just in case you were wondering, like, you know, about potential ways of governing Mars. So that's a thing. Well, it seems like it seems like old Elon really has this locked up. He's got he's got everything figured out for Mars. So maybe it wouldn't be such a bad place to go to after all. Like, it seems like, you know, under his under his um, sage guidance, should be a pretty chill place to set up a set up camp and uh, plant some potatoes. Yeah, maybe I'll go sometime after he does. You know, after yeah. you, Elon. <laughs> <laughs> Please, by all means, you first. It's all of us against a god and the most powerful beings on earth. So I saw. X-Men Apocalypse this weekend. I guess to make up for the fact that last week I had you see Neighbors 2 and then you I did not end up seeing it with you. So I saw I saw this week I saw a bad movie and I, I'm assuming you didn't see it, Liz. No, I saw a rodeo. You, well, you saw you saw the cinema of America. I sure um, did. <laughs> this I uh, you know, I, I feel like I in many ways, the X-Men franchise, if you want to call it that, is the only superhero franchise I really have what feels like personal investment in it, which is odd. I mean, I never, I, I was never a comics reader of any kind, really, like like a regular Marvel superhero, DC superhero comics reader. I, I wasn't. I was just mostly aware of the animated show on Fox when I was a kid. So like I, you know, I'm not like a super nerd. I'm not I'm not somebody who knows so much about the X-Men universe, but I do always feel a weird affinity for the movies when they come out even though I think they run a little worse than 50/50 as for quality. But I, I, I this this film has been mostly torn apart by critics and in a way even though I thought it was terrible I feel this weird urge to stand up for it but it's really hard and I was trying to figure out why it gets harder and harder to kind of like make an argument that the X-Men movies are cool and I feel like it might come down to the dopey science that they that depends on that like it's very premise is reliant on so is this because they are leaning on what is now like what a 70 year old understanding of what mutations are yes yeah and and you know we talked about this a little bit when we talked about dogs like yeah it's something that i feel like a lot of people actually like maybe even some seven-year-olds have a better grip on now than this franchise appears to and it's it's sort of weird to I guess it's a little bit weird to be nitpicky about something like that when but the thing is that like the Avengers or you know fill in the blank other superhero most of those powers and superhero things and uh, superhuman capabilities are just explained by like it's magic or it's like an experiment gone awry aliens yeah like you can just sort of gloss over it and the fact that the X-Men even makes a a, a feint at at uh, at explaining it scientifically and like trying to be an actual sci-fi series, I feel like is becoming a problem for it. I uh, I don't know. I mean, have you seen how many other movies have you seen, or have you seen them at all? I I saw the first one, and mm-hmm. I think I saw the second one. I didn't see the third. I saw the reboots with uh, Fassbender and McAvoy. Yeah. 
Um, so you saw the last. So you saw uh, X Men First Class and and Days of uh, Future Past. Days yeah. of Future Past. Yeah. Um, I, I also feel an affinity for the X Men, and I did read some of the comics, but I similarly feel that the the batting rate has not been particularly high on the movies. Like every once in a while, you'll get something wonderful, and then it is not. I I think that part of it, so part of it has to do with this, the science of just like this really, really fast and loose understanding of like what a mutation is. And then there's the fact that the mutations are kind of the main character. Like there's, it's not, there have, the the only character who's gotten a spinoff in this whole franchise has been Wolverine, who's gotten two of them. And you're not getting those like standalone like single character hero stories the way that the Marvel franchise has just been like cranking them out which is a shame um, in a way cuz i would definitely yeah. watch a storm movie oh yeah for sure you, but like for some for for whatever reason the films have not decided that the that the characters are actually the main attraction the main attraction is the fact that they're mutants and they are mutants as a group as like a, a an oppressed group who must fight back about uh, against whoever the bad person of the week is right um and i i i feel like yeah i mean i i i like the care i like the x-men characters way more than the than the Avengers characters granted i like know a little bit more about them than i know about the Avengers but I feel like they could get away with doing a lot of those films or just like having a regular X-Men movie that focuses on like four characters instead of 20, which is what they keep doing. Well, it's 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 I've started to think of it as like, you know, those those holiday movies that have like a billion people in them. And it's like Valentine's Day and Mother's right. Day. Yes. and Chris, or uh-huh. I don't know. Love Actually was the first one. It was a movie about Christmas. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like the X-Men are that. For the oh my god, that's so perfect! Comic book world, right? Like they're like all of your favorite stars all rounded up with like tiny little moments where you are reminded why you like them, but not an entire film. Yeah, like a nod that like this person's here and they're this person because they said this. Like that's just it's a series of that over and over and over again. I mean, I feel like the, I I think that some people have said that the, the X Men's general approach to superhero dumb whatever is is not as interesting as Marvel's. Like the whole thing about them it being about oppression, about it being about some kind of othered group, is not as compelling anymore. Or it's repetitive. It's the same thing over and over again. I honestly feel like you can go back to that well over and over and over again, and it's never going to get old. Well, I think that it's just about recontextualizing the story with different people. Right. I mean, like, one of the things that was really compelling in that very first movie, which was, like, what, 98? Like, early 2000s? It was 2000, yeah. Um, was that moment of Rogue kissing a boy for the first time. Yeah. Like, that, like, is heartbreaking. And, you know, metaphorically, there's definitely been a moment, I think, for all of us, where we've been in a, like, a potential romance with someone, and something that you have said or done has just absolutely killed it dead. Yeah. Yeah, and, I mean, there's a scene like this, which I've heard was written for that original movie, for the 2000 movie, um, that shows Cyclops's sort of um, origin story or his coming out. Um, I mean, and, and you know, it's basically just these stories are all, when when they see these scenes, we see these scenes or these flashbacks. It's basically just the mutants getting their periods over and over and over again. Like it's, yes. but like I, 
Like, I mean, and, and Cyclops literally goes into a bathroom stall while he's like trying to control his eyes from exploding all over a bully. <laughs> like, it. it's it's so amazing. I mean, and that stuff still gives me chills. I will still watch that any day of the week. I will watch that for every single character. I will see how it's different, like depending on where they grew up, what their socioeconomic level was, like what kind of what, what part of the world they were living in. You know, right? That's like I, it, they're like the monsters in the, of the week on Buffy, except as heroes instead of monsters, right. right? Like there are yeah. metaphors for certain kinds of experiences that I think can be really universal and are most compelling when told in an extremely specific way, sometimes involving magic or yeah, magic. <laughs> Basically just magic. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I feel like in a weird way, it's almost the inverse problem of what people, you know, people always harp on um, like Spider-Man or Batman. Like we've seen Spider-Man like we've seen uh, like Uncle Ben die so many times and we've seen Batman's parents die so many times. Like we never need to see this again. We want to move on and see other parts of the story. But like I feel like the X-Men movies have spent so little time actually getting to know any of the characters, even the main ones that they like supposedly are the stars. I mean, imagine the Gambit origin story. How fun oh would that be? God. Well, they were supposed to do that. Um, uh, oh God, weren't they gonna? I think that they were planning on doing a Gambit one when Tim Riggins was in the first Wolverine movie, uh, and then they canceled it. This was like back when Taylor Kitsch was gonna maybe be a star, and then John Carter happened, and it was like, nope, never mind. You are never going to be a leading man. Just too bad, poor Taylor Kitsch. But um, he would have been an amazing Gambit. I'm sure he can dry his tears with his money um, <laughs> and his long hair. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, like you know, every single one of these mutants has a compelling story that that heavily influences the character like you have Wolverine who gets experimented on who we've sort of seen explored you've got like the you know like the the origin story of Jean Grey like Mm -hmm. that in and of itself like imagine discovering your psychic learning how to control it all that stuff yeah and um Tasha Robinson wrote a little bit about this she'd have a piece about just the way that all of the sort of getting at this point that all of the Superheroes, whether they're in um, whether they're in this in the X Men franchise or in the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe, like a lot of them kind of have the same way of carrying themselves, and it's all like you, like you've just come out of the most horrific experience of your life, and everybody's sort of like shell shocked and slack jawed and like monotone, like that is just the way of acting in these films, and. It's it's sort of too bad. I mean, there there is some good stuff like uh, yeah, Sophie Turner, aka Sansa Stark, plays Jean Grey in this new movie, and it really like, it, albeit in like five minutes total, it shows how like she's like freaking out and like can't control her, like she can see all these horrible visions of the future and like can you know hear everybody's voice at the same time, and she's like miserable because of it. And it's, but it's given no time, so you don't really actually have a chance to explore what that would be like to be a teen telepath and just have everybody's voice in your head and also be going through puberty and everything sucks. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, like, that is, that is fascinating. And like, think about it, you know, that's a nice metaphor for our social understanding is having other people's voices in your head. And like, as a teenager, that's like where you feel, or at least where I felt the most social pressure. 
Yeah. And the most like pressure to conform and to, you know, behave by other people's expectations of me. And um yeah, I mean like there like there's such a great teen movie in there. Like such yeah. a great coming of age story that, you know, could be explored in more than 5 minutes. Yeah. I mean that that's the thing is there's so many of these characters and there are different ones that resonate with different times. Like the you know, oddly even though she's always been very popular, it does feel like like Jean Grey is a particularly appropriate mutant for now. Like just because of that. Social media. Like that's your metaphor. Totally. I mean, I don't I, I I'm trying to think the, of the other ones that have been popular in other times. I mean, I feel like there have been there there are just a lot of characters that they haven't been taking advantage of, and you know, I don't know. I, the, the flip side of that is that, and Tasha also pointed this out, which I thought is a, a good point that nobody's really been making, is that people complain because Jennifer Lawrence became very famous after having signed on originally to do these movies and so now she's on her third one she obviously does not want to be there like very very checked out but in the meantime they've also made mystique into this very central character like basically this katniss everdeen type revolutionary figure for the mutants like there's a scene where storm uh like like young storm is like oh i idolize wolverine or not i idolize mystique and she has like a little poster of her in her room and it's like that kind of stuff is great. I love that. But that also means that because Jennifer Lawrence is a big star, they make her role big and they make that character more significant or interesting than like maybe she would have been otherwise if she was just a part of this like faceless mass of mutants. So, um, so, so it's kind of a plus side. I also like feel like she should be set free as soon as possible. She's not having fun in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I mean, that's sort of, I, I just feel like I'm going to keep seeing them. I don't know why. I don't, I, I have this weird faith for the, the Listen, the this X is movies. how I feel about the X-Files. You can throw as much bad X-Files at me as you want and like a moron. I'm just going to keep watching it. Yeah, I guess that's sort of me and um, Star Wars. I mean, I'm, I just have a lifetime pass. I have like, I'm never, I'm never getting out of it, which just sucks because the, the new, uh, the, the Rogue One the Star Wars stories is uh, apparently going in for reshoots. Was not testing well. Might not be very good. But that's okay. We've we've been through worse. We Star Wars. Yeah, <laughs> the prequels. <laughs> we have been pretty much the okay. Yeah. I uh, oh I wanted to plug something that I didn't uh, I didn't I probably should have done it like last week or the week before. But um, I went on a podcast. This is kind of while we're talking about big flashy movies that may be both underrated or overrated, I went on a podcast uh, that my friends David and Griffin host called Blank Check, and they were talking about all the Wachowski movies, speaking of The Matrix, right now. And so I went on to talk about Speed Racer, the first Wachowski's movie that I guess that they both wrote and directed after The Matrix trilogy. And um, we talked for two hours about it. So if you want to hear a two-hour conversation about the 2008 movie Speed Racer, it's it just look for Blank Check on iTunes. Cool. And while you're on iTunes, you could probably subscribe to Verge ESP. Just a thought. We are iTunes.com slash Verge ESP. And you can find us on Spotify. Uh, if you search for The Verge on Spotify... 
I wish there was, I really wish there was a cute link that we could just shout out. Like, do you hear us, Spotify? Yeah, give us a cute link. I mean, give us a link, but if it's cute, that would be great. And uh, what else do we have? We have SoundCloud. Uh, we SoundCloud. have all of, the, all of the important medias. All of the clouds. Um, and, and leave us a review. We like reviews. Actually, I'm going to see if there's a new review because I was, yeah, I was going to read Yeah, we do them. read them. Right now, uh, the best one recently in the last couple months is just a thumbs up. So I'm going to read that out loud. Batman27 says thumbs up. And then somebody tells us to keep our liberal feminazi views to ourselves. So if you want to fill in those comments and push stuff like that down, that would be By all means, call me a feminazi. I get strength from it. (laughs) Your insults only make us stronger. Well, that does it for us this week. Uh, We will be off next week because I will be away and out of the country. But we will be back two weeks from now. Um, So we'll see you then. Bye. Bye.